have your Bible, if you'd open with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to continue our sermon series as we consider what it means, what it looks like for us to live and the overflow of our calling uh, to serve. And it's really um, because of the name of Jesus that one day we know that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and those people who will bow will be made up of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And so we know that that event one day will happen. And so as we live until that day, one of the things that needs to capture our heart is this desire, this overflow for us, desire to serve the world, not in our own self-interest so that we can speak to um, the redemptive work of Christ in us, for us, and ultimately for the world. We are called to serve, modeled well by Christ, as we looked last week from Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, that even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The statement we made last week is that when we serve for Jesus, we are being like Jesus. That's the ultimate call of being a Christian, being Christ-like, is that we would emulate, we would reflect, we would be like Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that in the world around us is that we serve. And so also last week we, 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 we talked about how, how vision, how the idea of service, the idea of, of vision, it might be the, the magnet that, that draws people together. But as we think about and pray for and pray towards a particular strategy, that will be the glue that holds us together as a church. That as we seek to serve out of the overflow of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, that we want to be glued together as a church. We want to have the same heartbeat as a church. We don't want to do a thousand things and to do them just a a, a little bit of good. We want to give our lives and our church and our service and our ministry to doing maybe one, maybe two things and doing them really, really well. And so what then would that look like? If we look in the context of of Scripture, and I believe the argument that we'll see today from Ephesians chapter 3 is for us, service begins out of the overflow of our prayer lives. Because you see, if we start serving out of a different origin or out of a different motive, that service becomes self-serving. That we're doing it to make ourselves look good. We're doing it because Pastor Luke's been talking about it for three weeks and I'm tired of hearing him talking about it, so I'm just going to do something about it. We don't do it because of really the reason what Christ has accomplished for us and how that has changed and reshaped and framed our hearts. So let's consider this question just for a moment as we begin. Like if God answered your every prayer this week, how many people would have come to know the Lord? If God would have answered every single prayer that you offered, how often are people who don't know Jesus, who are living outside of a relationship with Jesus, how how often are they the target of our prayers? So what do the, the sum of our prayers ultimately reveal about our own hearts? Paul here in Ephesians chapter 3 does a beautiful job of bringing all of this together in the context of the church for the, the, the body of Christ and, and paints a picture for us in our own hearts of how we should learn, yearn and, and, and long for and pray for those who know him, but also how we should utter that same prayer for those who do not know him. If we want God to do something remarkable, 
And that's the question in which we started 2021 with. Do, do we as a church, just, do we want God to do something remarkable? Or are we just kind of satisfied with another year of checking the guilt trip boxes of attending church and giving a little bit of money to him and just repeating this week after week for a few months? Or do we really want God to do something extraordinary, right? And if that's true, like, and if we want God to do something, then there should be evidence of this desire in our hearts in our prayer lives. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 3, a beautiful prayer. If you see the, the paragraph heading, a prayer for spiritual strength is what this is. And what you will clearly see, a picture for how the glory of God and the mission of God come together as we pray to God. So Lord willing, that's what we want to see in our time together this morning. Let's pray to that end. Father, would you show us? Father, would you teach us? God, we sit underneath the truth of your word, God, and we have gathered here for one purpose, God, and that is to hear from you. And God, our response to that is our worship unto you. But God, in these moments, in this moment, Father, would you show us in your word how the glory of what you've accomplished on the cross of Christ and our desire to make that message known, how that comes together in our prayer life. And God, give us a, a good and right burden to pray for lostness. God, pray that your light would shine in darkness. God, would you help us to rightly sit underneath your word this morning. So God, would you do what only you can do now by your spirit. And that's help us look more like Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A few ways that we will see this uh, in our text today. So we'll consider three things. Uh, the text really is, is, is all of Ephesians chapter 3. We're not going to read all of it in its entirety, but we're going to begin verses 10 through 15 and see how we pray for our neighbors and the nations to experience God's glory. Hopefully you found Ephesians chapter 3. If you'd follow along as I read these five verses, beginning in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, verse 13 says, not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Then the first two verses of this prayer for spiritual strength, Paul writes in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. At initial glance, you may think that I am twisting the text to make a, a point this morning, but let me show you in, in broader context in Ephesians chapter 3, where we land and see Paul, that he is not just praying for believers in the church. He has a broader category for his prayers here. Verse 1 he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on, your, on behalf of you Gentiles. And so he begins chapter 3 praying for the Gentiles. We know Paul was uniquely called and gifted by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so it's, it's safe to assume at this point that there were some Gentile believers. But the idea that Paul was writing to a completely saved group of, of people when he was writing to the Gentiles at this point 
would probably not be true. And that's further evidence in verse 2 because he writes and says, I am assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Verse 6 says, this is the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. And then verse 8, he writes, my job to preach the unsearchable riches of God's grace. And so Paul is writing to a very broad category of, of people, and he's bringing these people together to show his heart and longing and love for them as expressed in his prayers for them. Or to say it like this, that Paul is, is saying, I am praying these things for you because it is my call to preach these things to you. And so for Paul, what we see the evidence of God's call on his life to the Gentiles was undergirded, if you will, had the foundation, if you will, of praying for those exact people. So that as Paul was living out his calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, in Ephesians chapter 3, what he see that that is birthed out of a prayer for those same people. So you see, Paul understood his role and responsibility to pray for his neighbors and the nations as an overflow of his call that God's placed on his life. And so Paul's obedience to God's call was expressed in his prayers for them. And that's why we can go back to the question that we started the service with. If, if God answered every single one of your prayers so far this week, how many people would have come to know the Lord? You see, what we see in Paul's life and testimony is that that was his target. And that target affected the way that he prayed in Ephesians chapter Three so is our willingness to obey God's call expressed in our prayers. There is a lot in these five verses that we read. And so the question might be, how should we desire for our neighbors and the nations to experience this glory that Paul has experienced and is now testifying about a few ways in which we should desire this? First and foremost, in verse 10, we should desire for them to experience this glory through the church. Verse 10 writes, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That Paul is writing the ecclesia, that the, the gathering of God's people has a dominant role in expressing God's wisdom to the world. And so that's why there is so much more at stake when we gather together in our worship services, that God has uniquely wired us. He's uniquely gifted us to be a witness to the world of the manifold wisdom of God. And what we see throughout history, what we see throughout church history, and even now what we see in, in American history is this, that unfortunately the church is all too often known for the foolishness of selfish men than it is for the manifold wisdom of God. And so then if we really tease that out, it's not that the church has been radically changed by changing legislation. It's the fact that the church has been radically changed by lowering the standard of what the church is supposed to be. So you see, when the, church, when the world sees the church, they are supposed to see not a miniature picture of the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of the picture of God. And the manifold wisdom of the picture of God cannot be legislated one way or the other. And so it's not that we've relegated this or delegated this. It's the fact that no one else has this right or has this authority. It's been given uniquely to the church. And so when the world sees the church, what they are supposed to get is a, is, is a picture, a glimpse of the glory of God. Is that what Rocky Mount sees when they drive past 200 South Church Street? 
Is that our, our legacy? Is that our testimony in the community? That we are a picture of the greatness and beauty and the glory of God. It's how we are to desire for people to experience the glory of God is through the church. Second way that we are to desire for our neighbors and nations to experience this glory is through the purposes of Jesus. Look at verse 11. This was according to the, not the temporary purpose that he has realized in Christ, the eternal purpose purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the great truths, and just as we sit here gathered in worship this morning, you viewing online, following along with us this morning, here's the great truth that we are gathered this morning and our gathering this morning is a part of the eternal purposes of God. And it's that truth that prevents our hearts from walking into this place with callousness, with complacency, with all of these things. Because no, 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 we are playing a unique role, not in just the, the, the temporary purposes of First Baptist Church. No, we are playing an eternal role in the eternal purposes of God. And because that's true, then there is absolutely nothing in our lives that is wasted. That's why from the very beginning we have said that God is not wasting his time in this global health pandemic. Now, I don't fully even know what that means, but it's not like God has just hit pause on his eternal purposes and he's going to hit play once everybody's vaccinated again. Like that's not how that's going to play out. There's something within this season, at this place, at this moment in time that is about the eternal purposes of God. And I'm just scared that we might have missed this because we've made COVID about ourselves and our own preferences and our own understanding of what this is, as if anyone understands what this is, right? But no, like what we know and trust from the word of God is that this unique moment in time is a part of the eternal purposes of God. And that's how this plays back into the mission of God. Again, before the foundation of the world, God through Christ, has been executing a divine redemption and rescue plan for his people. And today, this day, is a marker in time, a moment in time, in the middle of his eternal purposes. Those purposes are only realized in and through Jesus is what we see in verse 11. And so the mission of God will always and forever be connected to the person of Jesus. And because this is true and because this is working itself out in society, it's how our neighbors and nations will see the glory of God. A third way they'll see the glory of God is through our faith. Look at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Like, listen, our faith does not give us just a one-time access to Jesus for salvation. Like we know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, by grace you've been saved through faith. Like we know that happened at one moment, at one time. But that's not the only access to Jesus that our faith gets. That we, through our faith, have access to Jesus every single day. We are recently switching over, and some of you might be aware of this. Others of you might be wondering why you can't get in our buildings anymore. But we are recently are in the process of switching over to a key fob system. 
um, in which you have this trendy little thing and you wave it in front of it. Y'all know how this works, right? And you open the door and it unlocks for you. Like the really cool thing about this is, um, I'm not going to say who, but someone at the church has the power to restrict everyone's access and to give them access within a certain time frame. And this is helpful, right? So if we have a contractor coming to work on something on Friday at one o'clock, we can give them a five and give them access only to our building between 11 and three. They come back on Saturday, they can't get in. Um, and then for others of us, members or staff, like that's how I get in the office door every day. I, I, I wave this key fob, I open the door. It's how I have access. Like in that same line of thinking, what we have in Christ is we have permanent forever access through the Father in our faith. So every single time that we want to approach God, we can because we have faith in his son. Right, we don't have to wait for the, the, the controller to give us access between a certain time period on this certain day. Now, like any time that you want to approach the Father, this is what Christ has purchased for us on the cross. Is this forever access to the Father? And that is what the world should see in our lives. As we live out our faith in Jesus, they should see a group of people who live with the bold confidence that I can utter, whisper one prayer in the middle of chaos, and the creator of the world hears my prayer. That's the kind of access that we have through faith in Jesus. We don't have to worry about whether or not he's going to hear us. We don't have to worry about whether or not it's the right timeline or time frame, or if he's too busy. No, in faith, in Christ, we have access to the Father. Yes, thank you, Lord. So therefore, because that's true, you don't have to crawl to his throne. You don't have to wake up in the morning and in your own flesh, God, I just don't have the strength today. No, he knows that. That's why he came to you. He came to you to give you access to him. And so because this is true for us, when the world sees our faith, our faith is not to be lived in this timidity, right? Not to be lived in this callous fear of what may or may not be. It's meant to be lived in the fullness of who Christ is and what he's accomplished for us and the keys that he has given to the kingdom and the church that we are divinely, redemptively a part of. We have access to the Father. Therefore, we approach him with boldness and confidence. And so we see this begin the prayer for spiritual strength in verse 14 and 15. So we want our neighbors and nations to experience God's glory and service to the Father. Look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So because all of this is true, Paul, in this argument, verse 1 through 13, because all of this is, is true, Paul then in verse 14, what does he do? For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. You see, this is the picture of servitude here. That because God is doing all these things through your faith, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, he's strengthening us, he's accomplishing his purposes. Because this is true, for this reason, to use the words of Paul, I bow my knees before the Father. Because this is true, I take on the posture of service and servitude. It's why we are called to serve by praying for others. Because we understand, like Paul, the weight of verses 1 through 13. And we want to see those truths captured in those verses be transferred to people who are walking around in darkness. We want them to see the light of Christ. 
And so because that's true, the great transaction here in verse 14, for this reason we serve. For this reason we bow our knees before the Father. The picture we have here is a picture of humility. That God in Christ is working. He's serving. And in our humility, he works and serves through us. I love how Paul says this, verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So we can boldly and confidently with access to the Father by faith, we can say, God, you know and have named every single family on earth. Therefore, I'm praying that they would know you. You named them, God, but I want them to know you. And so our neighbors and our nations, as we pray for them each week, as you wake up tomorrow morning and you pray for them, although at this point, at this time, at this year, they might be unknown to you, they were named by God. And so again, that changes the way that we pray about them because God created them. And so our prayer is that God, would you create, or or God, would you redeem them for your creative purposes? The reason why you created them was for the good and glory of your name. So God, would you redeem them for that purpose? You know them, you named them. So we can pray through faith, the internal purposes of Jesus, through the wisdom of the church. And in this moment, we are participating in the mission of God. So again, the question we've been asking this year is not, is God accomplishing his mission? The question is, are you participating in the mission of God. It's pictured well in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. As we were talking through this text in our staff meeting this week, one of the things that we discussed for a few moments is this, the great truth that you bow your knees to something or to someone every single day. You bow your knees to the service of your career. You bow your knees to your family. You bow your knees to a whole lot of things. And all these things are right and good. But the picture here that we see in Ephesians chapter 3 begs the question, who or what are you bowing your knees for? The weight that Paul speaks in Ephesians chapter 3 helps us to feel the burden of of lostness. And and the burden is not for ours to carry alone, but we should wake up every single day with the great reality that we will interact that day with people who don't know Jesus. And so God, use me in that. For that purpose, God, I I bow my knees for you because you have named every single family on earth. And so the great invitation here is to participate in God's mission. I've been so encouraged by the emails and phone calls and the meals that I've shared with some of you this year as we've talked about and wrestled with what this looks like for us. For those of you who have voiced or maybe you're feeling it in your heart, like, hey, like, listen, God, I want to participate in the mission of God this year. Like, let's just pause right here and say, like, 101 to the mission of God is praying. Like, you have the opportunity to participate in the mission of God every single day as you pray to your Heavenly Father. You can wake up and you can play the game that God has called you to play. You can play the role that God has called you to play every single day in your prayers. We desire for those prayers to overflow for the neighbors and the nations, but we don't desire just for them to know or or see a very cursory view. What we see in verses 16 through 19 is that we pray 
for strength and the riches of the Father's glory. So the next time that we see glory in this passage, it's accompanied to, to, to God's riches here. He carries with it great riches and wealth for us to see and to enjoy. Read verses 16 through 19 with me. That according to the riches of his glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, Paul just doesn't want people to catch a a snapshot, a picture of the glory of God. He wants people to see the full riches of the glory of God. A few ways that the riches of the Father's glory inform our prayers. Look at verse 16. One, that you will be strengthened by power. Remember, when we pray, like, listen, our God is not a weak God that is seeking weak glory. It's not who he is. And so when we pray, we are to be strengthened by our faith. Not because we have strength in and of ourselves, but the God who we're praying to has the power through his spirit to strengthen us. That we be strengthened with power through his spirit. His spirit is not passive or inactive. It's present and active within the heart of the believer. So we have access to power. This power here is the same power that Paul uses in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You've probably heard this verse before. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. This idea of of power, the Greek word here is dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite. And so what Paul is literally saying here is that you have been strengthened by the dynamite power of God. It's the strength that we have. It's the depth of the riches of God that we possess. And so do you pray like you have dynamite in your spirit? Does that capture our prayer life? I remember growing up, we would always drive. My grandparents lived in Memphis when I was a child, and we lived in Charlotte. So every year for Christmas, we would drive, we would get on I-40, and we would head west for a whole lot of hours and a whole lot of miles. And along that journey, there are tunnels on I-40. When you get to the Asheville area, y'all probably driven through them. And the way in which those tunnels were made way back when, I think this was Eisenhower's work here, um, was through dynamite. They would literally blast holes in the sides of mountains so that Interstate 40 could head west. Like, that is a picture of the power of God. It's like, if you're facing something that you don't know how to deal with it, don't know how to work with it, you're overwhelmed by it. Listen, through your faith, like, you have access to the dynamite power of God. I don't know how that shapes how you're going to approach the throne of God tomorrow morning, but you need not be ashamed. You need not be afraid of the weakness. God, I I don't know the words to say. Like, just be quiet. You got dynamite in you. You don't have to have the right words to say. Just approach the Father and plead for him to make his riches known. So again, do you pray like you have dynamite in your spirit? If you knew that God would answer your prayers this week, how would that change the way in which you pray? The ultimate goal we see in verse 17 is this, that Christ may dwell in your heart. Verse 17. 
It's a picture how he acts, how he dwells, how he works within us, that the riches of the Father's glory is made known because he has made it possible for Christ to dwell in you. To dwell, he's taken up residence within us. He's not staying at your beach house. He's not camping out in your guest room. He's not staying at the Holiday Inn down the street and only coming occasionally to visit. No, he is dwelling within you in this moment. In this space and in this time, he is residing within you. The only hope that we can see, the riches of the Father's glory, is by Christ dwelling within us. I love the prayer that that Pastor Matt prayed a few weeks ago, where he prayed that more than we want our neighbors and nations to look a certain way or to act a certain way, God, we want you to dwell within them. That's the prayer that Paul is issuing here. Like more than I want Christianity to fit a particular form in society, God, I just want you to take up residence within people. Like I want you to dwell within them by the power of your spirit and your spirit will do the rest of the work. This works in a way that you would see be rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled full with all the fullness of God. The riches of God's glory are expressed in the love of the Son. And so then when we pray, here's the picture. We pray to a God whose love is so vast that we cannot understand the height, the breadth, depth, or the length of it. I was thinking this week as I was writing this on Thursday, one of my favorite hymns is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I think it's just a beautiful, well-worded picture of how much the Father loves us. And in the riches of that song, that song inadequately captures one-fourth of what we see in this verse. That his love is not only deep, there's also breadth to it. There's height to it. There's length to it. So much so that it is impossible for us to truly understand it. It surpasses knowledge. It's the real invitation for us to love a God who loves us so much that we cannot even comprehend his love towards us. Like That's crazy to even say, right? So in the world around, like, hey, do you want to know someone who loves you more than your mind can understand? That is the ultimate invitation to follow Jesus. Like that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross to take the penalty of your sin, to make the payment of your sin that you could not make. And three days later, he rose again to defeat the power and penalty of sin for you. And that love for you is demonstrated in a way that is too great. It's too wide. It's too deep. It's too long. It's too high for you to even understand You want to know somebody like that? Right? That's the invitation that we have in Christ. So great that we cannot be, that we cannot fully understand it. So for us, the the riches of our Father's glory helps us prayerfully express these depths. So when we rightfully understand that the strength that we have is the dynamite spirit of God, that we are indwelt by the spirit, through what the Son of God has accomplished for us with a love that is truly incomprehensible to us. That is the invitation that we offer to people. Listen, do you want to know a God that will blow your mind? That the only way that you can access him is by faith because you can't fully understand all that he has to offer you. 
And so you come and you bring your faith to him. And so oftentimes we make our faith about us, right? That, oh, I have faith in Jesus. No, the reality is that's all you can have in him because you can't understand all that he is. So you can't understand, like you can't pass algebra two. Like you don't possess the knowledge to fully understand that apart from Christ. And so the only thing that we have to offer him is our faith. God, I believe that you are as big as you say you are. God, I believe that this redemptive work, this mission of God that you've called us to is bigger than my mind can understand. But here I am, the meager me that I have to offer you, God, I'm here for it. God, would you use me? The depths of the riches of God. And we don't just want these for ourselves. We want to share them with our neighbors and the nation. That's why Paul lifts his eyes here, these prayers to them. So we pray that they too might see the riches of the Father's glory and find strength there, find faith there, find hope there. Third thing we'll see real briefly in these last two verses, we pray for the church to express the abundance of God's glory. Probably familiar verses to most, most of you, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we see the word power here, right? So according to the power, the, the dynamos, the dynamite that is working within us, that he is able to do far more than we can ask or think. So you see, it's, it's God's desire and ability here to answer our prayers in such a way that his strength is found, not our own. Because what we see in these two verses is that God and God alone has the right desire and the right resources to more than abundantly meet the needs of those who come to him and ask. I could look around the room and I could ask you for many things this morning. Like I could ask you for tickets to a Braves game. I could ask some of you to fly me there. I could ask some of you to join me. Um, and watching the Braves beat the Nationals. I could ask you to, hey, let me come stay at your beach house this summer. Like, and some of you, I'll pick on my dad. I could ask my dad, hey, dad, can I have that red Ford truck that you had? Like, some of you have the, the desire to meet that request. Some of you have the resources to meet that request. But here's the great truth when we approach God in these things. It's like, listen, that there is an abundance of God's glory that is accessible to us because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. That there is a God who has more desire and resources than our minds can understand. So in my great request, in my greatest ask of God, the great reality is that God can do more. My greatest thought that God can do more. And that's not to capture the earthly trivial trappings that I illustrated. Like, no, the, the depths of who God is, is accessible to us. Not just in a shallow way, but in a way that we have access to more and abundantly than all we could ask or think. So here's how we will answer. And we miss this part of verse, uh, of oftentimes of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He answers in a way that his glory will be made known. How? In the church, right? In the gathered body of God, the purchased redemption of God, the body of Christ gathered in worship. That is how this glory will be made known. 
And it's not just a one snapshot kind of deal. It's a, it's a picture of all generations for all times. That is a beautiful reminder that even in this moment, our gathering is not about us. That what God is accomplishing in us and through us and for us in this moment is a snapshot of today, but in a bigger picture, it's what he's going to do for all generations. He will accomplish this work for all generations. And so then it's our desire to live on mission for God among our neighbors and the nations. And when we do so, we join God in the prayer of verse 21. That God, would you bring glory to your church through your son throughout all generations? That is the prayer that we are offering to God as we seek him to work among our neighbors and the nations. And so the application question for us this morning is this, is this the cry of your heart? That God would bring glory to your church, to his church, through his son, throughout all generations. Because here's the great reality, like the next generation of Christ followers probably are not in another church across town this morning. They're probably rolling out of bed, eating their Cheerios. Like they're not in church. They don't know church. They don't speak the way we speak. They don't dress the way that we dress. They don't think the way that we think. They don't appreciate the things that we appreciate. And yet God loves them. God sent his son for them. And so what we want to do as a church, we want to lift our eyes beyond ourselves because the great prayer that we see Paul lift here in Ephesians chapter three is one that connects this generational understanding of the love for God and a picture of God's glory. We desire for God's glory to be made known. Therefore, we pray. We desire for God to bring glory to his church through his son, throughout all generations. Therefore, we pray. We pray specifically for the neighbors and the nation. It's the pattern of the New Testament church we see here in Ephesians chapter 3, and it should be a pattern of our church too. That the deepest desire of our heart for the neighbors and the nations should be evidenced in the way in which we pray. If you read the New Testament, If you study great movements of God throughout American history, throughout world history, what we see is that every single great movement of God was preceded by a great movement of prayer. That there's something about a a church, a people, a group of people gathering together, prayerfully petitioning our concerns to the Father. There's something about that that is like gasoline for the mission of God that it just ignites, that we in our prayerfulness, we are tilling the soul for God to work in us as he works through us. And so for us this year, as we truly begin and are challenged to embrace the mission of God, to live in, to lean into the mission of God, the great challenge is, hey, that's going to begin in the prayerful place of your own heart. Our prayerful dependence on God, for him to do the work, and our deep desire for us to participate and what he is doing. And if that's true, then we pray. Is this the cry of your heart this morning? The glory of God and the mission of God come together in our prayers to God. Therefore, we pray. You're wondering how this might look. We have set aside Sunday, February the 28th, that afternoon for about 45 minutes. Uh, We want to provide some training resources, some tools, for you uh, to take that prayer life and to frame it in the kingdom of God and the mission of God for you this year. You'll be hearing much more about that um, in the next couple weeks. We want you to know like this is, it's okay to be confused and a little timid because the great reality is none of us have this figured out, but the great call for all of us is to figure it out together. 
And so we want to walk together towards this and through this in the life of our church. As we think by way of application and invitation this morning, we would be remiss if we missed the call of God to salvation here this morning. You see, Ephesians chapter 3 paints a picture of the glory of God made known through the Son of God. Do you know that Son of God? Have you turned your life to him, surrendered your life to him, that he might be Lord of your life? He came to offer you a relationship with him. For the rest of us, for those of us who do have that right relationship with God, we're seeking to follow him, seeking to live for him. The great invitation for us is this, this morning, God, would you sanctify us? God, help us to participate, help us to live, help us to pray in a way that captures your heart for your people. The people gathered in this room and the people that have not seen the light of Christ yet. God, help us to live into that, to lean into that so that your glory might be made known throughout the church in all generations. God, may that be our prayer, First Baptist Church, this morning. Let's pray as we close this time together. Father, we are thankful of all that you have done for us in Christ, of all that you have accomplished for us in Christ. God, it is truly mind-blowing to think of all that we have access to and through, through your Son. And God, we cannot will our, our, our hearts into obedience. God, we can't force ourselves to see this in a different way. God, only thing that we can do is to yield our lives to you. And so, Father, that's our desire. God, we want our heart to reflect your heart. God, we want collectively our heart as a church to reflect your heart as our Savior. And so, Father, what we want to do in time of response now is just, to, to, just for a moment to cast our minds to Calvary, Father, and to think and to remember of all that you have accomplished for us. And God, because that is true, may that forever change frame the way that we pray. Pray with bold access through our faith, with a deep desire for generations to come to know the Father through the glory of the church. God, accomplish that work in these moments now as we cast our minds to what you've accomplished for us on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?